Hello? Oh, good morning. Hi, there's a car alarm outside. There is? Oh, I hear it. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's been going on for a while, so I don't have any reason to believe it'll stop soon. But I don't think uh, it's a problem. Hey, hey, it stopped. It stopped. Woo! It's a Thanksgiving miracle. Nice! <sighs> How's everything going? Way up, way up there. Everything is really good. I'm really, yeah. I'm pumped. I am pumped for Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah? What do you got going on over there? Way oh, up there. my God. We're doing something all new, all different. Mm. Um, no, it's very, it's exciting. So, you know, normally we go to my sister-in-law's house. Yeah. Um, is this she the glasses one? Yeah. Mm. And she, uh, <laughs> so we're going to, the thing is, though, this year we're going to go there uh, over the weekend. And so we're doing something special at home with just the three of us on Thursday. And I'm pretty excited about what it. What is it? What are you doing? All sides. Oh, you we're mean all sides Thanksgiving? No, all sides. No, no protein. We're gonna have all sides, and because you know we're gonna go and have the big family event. Instead, it's just gonna be all the things that uh, that you want to make without the you know all the trouble of making a big bird. I love we'll still, that. We'll still make a lot of dishes. I can't change that. But uh, but I'm I'm pretty excited about that. Does that mean no sides on the legit Thanksgiving then, or what? I don't have any control over that day. Yeah. I'm a guest. Yeah, you just show up. Show up and. Eat. Show up, yep, and um, man, she always puts out a great spread, so that'll be awesome. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped, you know, because making a turkey, it's or anything, any big protein main dish, it's fun, but it's mm, stressful is the wrong word. But like, I'm just ready to like not have something big on the schedule yeah. for the day. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. There's always stuff on the schedule, so I just want to encourage people. You know, there's many different ways you can do all sides Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm just saying it's a gift you give to yourself and your family. Yeah. Yeah, I've never I even thought of it. I never heard of that. Is that something you have innovated there or is this something, you know, that you've... I probably you, saw it on Reddit because I'm a big Reddit fan. Yeah. I was looking at Reddit. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I feel like it was my wife's idea, but we might have heard about it somewhere, you know, osmosis. But, uh, you know, and normally for me, it's the opposite. For me, it's all about the protein. And then I go something, something sides. So right. like when I, I cook dinner a lot of the nights and it's like a big piece of meat. And then like noodles for my daughter. And then my wife is like, can we have a salad or something? I'm like, salad's a great idea. And she makes a hell of a salad. Yep. So that's exciting. Thanksgiving, you know, it's just that the holidays can be, um, I don't know, overwhelming sometimes. Especially now that, now that they start around Labor Day. Yeah, they can, <laughs> that's right. It, we, they're already, the Christmas decorations are already up in our, uh, in our like the day after Halloween. There were Christmas decorations up in the lobby of this building, in the edifice. I had to run out uh, at the last minute to buy some extra candy Halloween night. And so I was at the Walgreens, as you do. And I noticed, like, so all on the shelves, of course, in the candy aisle is the candy. But on the top shelf where they put the stuff that's going to get stocked, all Christmas stuff. It was all there. I had one in the chamber ready for Jesus. Nice. It was crazy. I mean, come on, really? I mean, uh, anyway, sorry. It's such an old man thing to complain about, but like Christmas would be so much more fun if it was like, you know what? Three weeks of Christmas, get in, get out. You just, you, you can't have two months of Christmas. It's too much. And it's, it's, just, it's just so cynical. It's so cynical. It's so gross, you know? I, I feel like, you know, everybody sort of complains about the commercialization of the holidays that they've become, you know, this kind of... Uh, this, this way to just market stuff. People talk about the extension of it was there was Black Friday and then there was uh, Cyber Monday and now and and like I have gotten 
I got a credit card fraud Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. And I think I counted like six different solicitations or advertisements that I've gotten from stores that I went to over the last 10 years that are like, here's, a, you know, a Black Friday begins two weeks early now, you know, and it's it's really funny and weird, but uh, I don't know. Like, I just, kind of, that stuff just feels like it's so off my radar that I don't, I don't really pay attention to it. I'm, I know people who are outraged by it. Well, you know, I like, mean, like they, they, they feel like they, like it's, they're somehow personally insulted. Well, I'll know. tell you why I feel that way. Yeah. It's not complicated. It's the same reason I don't want to have to have a relationship with the server at a restaurant. They're acting like we're friends and we're not like I'm there to have a meal with my family and talk to them and they're there to serve it and get a tip and they're going to get a tip and they're going to get a pretty good tip. But like the whole thing of like, Hey, how's it going? I'm skipper and I'm going to be your server tonight. And I'm going to squat by the table like a freak. Mm. Like that's so gross to me. And like, I mean, let's just, let's be honest. Let's say what it is. Like Christmas is like when retailers make most of their money and they need that Christmas to get bigger every year. And so, you know, it's, you know, they, and they have to act like it's all about, you know, childhood and happiness. And it's, it's hard to me. It's difficult not to be cynical about that. I think this is very well addressed by Peanuts in uh, 1966 or whenever that was. Yeah. That's amazing. It's so amazing. That came out 65, 66, something like that. And it's, it's pretty much exactly what people are sweating today. Yeah. When you see a Charlie Brown Christmas. That's yeah. a, that's a good show. Do you have, do you have favorite Christmas we have, we have a bunch. We what are the bunch. ones that you like? I still well, you tell me. What do you What do you guys like? I'm still a fan of the uh, of the the stop motion, all of the Rudolph ones. Mm-hmm. I feel like they all anything that has to do with the Rankin Bass ones. Yeah, like Santa Claus is coming to town and Rudolph riding his reindeer. Those are great. And then there's that weird one with Rudolph where I, it's like it's more about. Maybe this is the original. I'm, I get them all confused now, but the Abominable Snowman is in one of them. Yeah, the Bumble. That's that. That's that is in the original. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's super weird. And then Hermie uh, pulls out his tooth, and it's really it's pretty creepy. Yeah. Remember, Hermie wants to be a dentist. Oink oink. Remember, and then so he takes out his giant uh, uh, pliers and, and pulls the teeth out of the Bumble, out of the Abominable Snowman. Yeah, that seems odd to me. It's pretty gross. Um, but it's, boy, I love that one. I love, I still like The Grinch. The Grinch is a classic. The Grinch is is a must-see. And I was very disappointed that my children were not interested in The Grinch oh, as really? early as I wanted them to be. Now they love The Grinch. And now they yeah. love the book and they love the cartoon. And they, they even like the disturbing uh, Grinch movie. Ooh. I know, but I can't do that. They're like, "Oh, can you get us that one?" I'm like, "Oh, yeah, it's not available online anywhere. You can't, I can't get it. I'm so sorry." Fake, fake typing on the keyboard. Yeah, oh, that looks like it doesn't really. Right, nothing came they don't, up. They don't make it. They don't make it anymore. Yeah. Uh, the uh, oh, I love Cindy Lou Who. She's great, and um, and my daughter loves um, Home Alone, which which is a pretty good movie. Yeah, violent as heck. It's got a lot of what they call cartoon violence in it, but it is, uh, it's got Daniel Stern, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's the very beginning, I think, of when uh, Joe Pesci started taking anything somebody offered to him. Oh, so good for him. Yeah. A Hakuna Matata. <laughs> now, here's my suggestion uh, uh-huh. to the listeners. Now, now, if you guys have been waiting to, to start watching Bob's Burgers, I've got your episode. Here's your All episode. Right. My favorite episode of Bob's Burgers also happens to be last year's Thanksgiving episode of Bob's Burgers. 
And it helps if you're familiar with the characters, but even if you're not, you all you really need to know is that Bob has a kind of unsuccessful burger place and that he has aspirations to be a great chef. Okay. So uh, go find, I already put it in show notes, go find an episode of Bob's Burgers called Turkey in a Can. Nice. Sailors in your mouth, sailors in your mouth. I'm just saying, they have a song about gravy and uh, don't let that turn you off. Dan, Dan in, in as much as you can say, where would people find show notes for episode 197 of your Back to Work program? Uh, you can go to 5by5.tv slash uh, B as in brothers, two is in the number, W as in walrus, slash 197. And the uh, show notes are there. Yeah. Links are there. That's two of my three pieces of follow-up. So, so you do one. Ah, uh, well, I have, I have some good news, and I know I've received a lot of, uh, a lot of feedback about this, a lot of people asking, and so I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to, to follow up on this because it's important. Um, I remember I reported here and, and, uh, and, and here first that there was a, uh, a single case of lice in my kid's classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the case that, that was there has been handled. The, the classroom has been thoroughly cleaned, and they are now doing uh, weekly checks of all the students in the class, including my son, and uh, so far, no, no lice. Did they get separate people to check each kid? I think it's just one lady that does the checking. I would, I would and the teacher say, also checked, and she checked yeah. herself, she said. Well, who, who Rorschach's the Rorschach? Make sure somebody's watching her. Because it seems to me that she's very likely to become a carrier. Yeah. Nothing against that, that very hardworking person. Yeah. But this is terrific news. You, you still got to be diligent, but I'm really glad you didn't have to go through that at your home. Yeah, it was something that, I mean, since we last talked, I was a little rattled. Uh, I was a little upset. But I feel like things are... What, what, what kind of dre- dreading having to deal with that in your home? Yeah, I just, I didn't, I wasn't looking forward to it. You know, I have certain hair products that I like to use that work for me and I didn't want to have to switch to a, uh, you know, a more, uh, it's not that that this is the problem. This is the problem. There's no product. That's the problem. The the thing. And I feel like, I I don't know if I really put why this is so awful is that you can buy all the products in the world. You still have to sit there once or twice a day under a bright light with a comb looking for bugs in your child's hair. There's no way to get rid of it without actually combing. It's really, it's horrible. Remember when I asked you if you could buzz your hair and you said this, they'll still be in there. Right. Um, what if you just shaved your head completely bald? Can they take nothing to live on? They're gone. I mean, yeah, sure, for like for like a couple of days. Oh, and then... Mm. But th- it's hair, Dan. Yeah. Unless you're totally denuded all the time, unless you have like a, a head laser surgery. <laughs> I'm not a lice expert, but no. I, I don't know a way around that. And they, they just keep coming back. They're real pernicious. Here's a question. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as we've... Uh, as, as you have... I don't know what the right word is for this, demonstrated on, on the show through shaving. You have hair on your arm. You've shaved the hair on your arm during the show. Can they I live have, in the yeah. hair on your arm? On my arm? Probably. I'm not super careful about it. I, I bet there's something specific about the head. Um, again, not a lice expert. But my gut is that probably they go to your head because of they got the heat. Your head has lots of blood. Mm, no kidding. You know? I know. You ever get cut on your head? You yes, bleed a lot. I did. Yes, I don't know. There must be a reason they go there. You probably could. You know, I bet eventually you'd get it in your arms. If you let it go for a couple of years, I bet you'd get it, eventually get it everywhere you had hair. You get it on your toes. You have toe lice. You have to shave those too. Don't, don't start shaving your toes. It'll grow back black. Not in a bad way. Is that, that's, a, the, mm-hmm. that's an urban legend, I think. I think it's science is what it is. <laughs> 
don't have the papers in front of me. Um, wow. Look for abstracts. Hmm. Um, what is that, your pills? It's my Advil. Is that for your... I buy big Advil, big Advil. Um, I'm really glad to hear that. It was, it's, uh, it's pretty inconvenient. But, you know, I mean, the thing, I, we, we, we joked and kidded and whatnot last week. But, I mean, the thing I didn't know is, like, how common it is. Like, mm. how many people it just, it just happens to. You know, you think about it, you put all those kids in a room all day long. It's kind of not surprising. Too many but, kids. Too uh, many kids in one space. I guess so. We had a, we had a great. Well, I should talk about personal stuff. We had we had a great time last week though. We had a um a, a big feast where, where everybody made posters about their their background and you know uh, kind of ethnic geographical background. Like and everyone in, in your family. Um, everyone in the class. Oh, in her at class school. At school. Okay. And then everybody uh, who wants to brings in food. So, and I went and I. I attended that and it was amazing so great we brought in macaroni and cheese because we literally could not be any whiter we've got our our uh we were all flags of british protectorates mostly oh nice and and plus you know germany big irish flag on there <laughs> if you want the number for that irish lady i can set you up no just I don't in case know. just in case the lice thing happens you might you know as a prophylactic you might want to just kind of try to stay ahead of that hmm well, congratulations. That's that's a big relief. And so there's only one kid that ended up having it, huh? Uh, only in the, yeah, one in the whole class. Yeah. It's, it could be, it could be a lot worse. Could be a lot worse. Yeah. They just, they don't wash their hands enough. I know that doesn't have anything to do with the lice, but I mean, gosh, I wish there was a lot more hand washing at school. Yeah. Mm. I, I think they try to encourage it, but you never, you never know. Yeah. But they're still going to, the fingers are going up noses. Uh, you're touching under the desk, which is, of course, booger laden. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then there's just there's all kinds of you know you're just touching people. They touch each other all the time. The kids, you know, they do. And there's no, yeah. And they're at an age that are we have two kids that are an age, at an age where you touch faces a lot, and there's lots of eye grabbing and gouging and ninja stuff. Yeah, and I think that probably passes a lot of stuff around. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to tell me about something you like? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about Verona's Data Anywhere. These guys are uh, are having fun with with this sponsorship, and that means that the, the people listening are enjoying it. So thanks to everybody who's checked this out. Uh, Verona Data Anywhere, it's the best way to make your company's own network shares work essentially like Dropbox, right? You have a small company or a big one. You've got data. You want to share it, whether it's with the people in your office, the people who are traveling or remote people, uh, There has to be a good way to do this, right, without uploading all of your stuff uh, just up to uh, an Internet service that maybe you trust, maybe you you don't trust, Uh, important business-related files, things like that. Uh, you know, do you really want those in, in Dropbox? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you don't want them in Google Drive. This is a great alternative. And basically, users get file sync and they get mobile access and you don't have to change a thing about your infrastructure, uh, your own servers, you control them, right? They're backed up, they're secure, they're reliable. Why change everything? Keep your data where it is. And then this lets you sync with Mac OS X, with Windows, with iOS, with Android, and it installs in like 30 minutes. Uh, it's a really, really great service. And, uh, you know, it, you don't need to have a lot of people uh, or a lot of users to, to make this practical. Uh, you can check it out free for 30 days. You get an unlimited amount of users. And as a special bonus for uh, Back to Work listeners, you can visit Veronis, that's spelled V-A-R-O-N-I-S, veronis.com slash back to work, and you will get five users free forever. So um, this is, I imagine, with you in your, in your single man office, uh, you haven't started using this uh, yet. But uh, Merlin, you can I got, I've got a thumb drive and another thumb drive. Yeah. But as you expand, yeah. 
Someone goes. Yeah, yeah, sure. As I add expansion packs to my private office. But anyway, for 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 people like uh, like me and and like other folks who have you know a few people or remote people, especially uh, this is super cool. So go to veronis.com slash back to work. All spelled out. And uh, you'll get that trial, and then you'll get the five free users uh, forever. So thanks very much to Veronis for supporting uh, Back to Work with Merlin Man. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a comic recommendation. I have a comic I want people to go out and pre-order. I put this in show notes. Um, may I mention this? Yeah, please. This might give you a second to think about a comic you like, too. Um, I want people to go out and, uh, and pre-order uh, an image, a new image comic coming out next month called Bitch Planet. B-I-T-C-H planet. And uh, it's uh, it's really good. It's I really, I think you guys need to get this. It's uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, you know, who you know from Captain Marvel. Right. You know her from uh, Pretty Deadly. Art by Valentine Delandro. Not familiar with that name. But uh, go go and uh, go and pre-order this. You can go and look at some of the sample pages that are up. I, I got a little uh, preview copy of it. And uh, it's I, I'm very excited about this comic. I think it's going to be really, really good. And I, you know, and the way the thing is, if you want to support comics and you want to support comic creators and you want to support independent places like Image, yes, Image is big, but they are still an indie. You know, a lot, a lot of like, I don't know. I mean, do people know about what goes on at Image? Like, it's a lot of it is. I think it's almost all creator owned. It's you know, they when you support Image, you're supporting an amazing company and a lot of people who are trying to kind of do their own thing on their own. And so when you go into the store and you put in, uh, offer up the code for this, and you, you know, you know, every comic has like a pre-order code. You know about this? No, tell me about this. How does this work? It's fascinating. Uh, let me go find this. Uh, there's a, um, there is a, uh, a really obnoxious code. Oops, I went to edit that link instead. That's no good. Uh, I, there's probably not, not much point saying it here because it's really an ugly code, but, um, <laughs> So if you go and you say, you go to your local comic store and you say, comic book guy, I want OCT 140578. That means you're pre-ordering your copy of that. You're making sure that that gets sent to your store. So on the day it comes out, which I think is December 10th, it'll be sitting there in your box waiting for you. And it lets, it lets the, um, lets the, you know, comic store know that there's going to be interest in this. So you, they won't sell out on that day. And, uh, anyway, go check it out. Kelly Sudeconic, she's doing great work. You got anything you like? Excited about uh, comics? Right wise, now? You know, I mean, I wish I was more excited about any comics that are out right now. I mean, uh, you know, I'm st- I'm reading like a, like a like a pawn. I'm reading all the Spider Verse stuff that's going on with the Spider Man, and to be honest, it's it's not great, and I don't really understand it. Um, Is it lots of different people get spider powers? Is that it? No, you're thinking of uh, Spider Island. Spider Island. No, but I'm confused. So Gwen Stacy. It's an alternate uh, universe thing yeah, where she okay. was a spider for a while? Yeah, well, she is a spider. Okay, so here's it's apparent for, for people who don't know, there are many, 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 many different parallel universes in the Marvel canon. M- multiverse. Multiverse, is, as it's called. And they all have a different number. And the numbers don't seem to mean very much. They're sort of arbitrary. But for example... I think uh, I believe they're they're all called Earth something. So, for example, you might have Earth six one six, which is the when when most human beings uh, uh, think of the Marvel universe, that's that's the Marvel one that that they are thinking about. Right. Um, but there are many others. For example, like uh, the X Men movies are in their right. own universe. In, indeed, and there is a uh, there is a a universe uh, Marvel universe where, for example. Uh, 
the if you remember when we were kids and we had uh, the Spider-Man and his amazing friends cartoon where he was like roommates with Firestar and Iceman and they sort of ran around together as a trio and they had an uh, there was an obnoxious little dog and other things like that. <laughs> like that cartoon that, that many of us, including me, loved when we were kids. That is actually uh, a full-on um, separate Earth. I forget what Earth number it is. Chat room, if you know, tell me. Uh, but the, the, the premise is there, there are these uh, beings uh, who are – they. Spider-Man is what's known as a animal or spider totem. Um, this kind of gets, wow. yeah. And this is good. I need this. There are, like how we all do, uh, there are lots of spider totems across all of these multiverses. Most of them are essentially a Spider-Man, but you have different versions in each, uh, in each uh, universe. So for example, there's one where the original Doc Ock, as we know him, not the Doc Ock that took over Spider-Man in Earth 616, but there's like a Doc Ock who's a Spider-Man. There's a Bruce Banner who's a Spider-Man. There's just other people who are Spider-Man, and, and this is explained in a variety of ways. Perhaps the radioactive spider bit someone else that day, or mm. other uh, lots and oh, lots butter, of other but Butterfly wings, Dan. Butterfly flapping its wings. Ex- yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, but Butterfly is a Spider-Man in uh, some of those universes. Right. So what you wind up with is uh, uh, lots and lots of different people who could be uh, a Spider-Man or Spider-Woman or whoever in their own universe. And as a result of these beings traveling across universes, uh, they, they are going into each of these different uh, universes to absorb the life force of the spider totems that are out there. Wow. Yeah. And so the, as a result of this, the different spider people are sort of coming together to fight uh, against these uh, spider eater people. Uh, and that's sort of the premise of spider verse. Okay. Um, but the problem is uh, I, we don't really know who most of these other spider people are. Uh, we don't, honestly, I don't really care who they are because they're in universes that are sort of being made up. Uh, or 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 created or just they were mentioned once five years ago and never heard from again and so there's too many and it's tough to sort of care and they all have one bit lines and it's it's not that interesting it's so overwhelming I'm just looking at the multiverse page here I guess the other big one so there's six one six which is like our usual Marvel universe right. then Earth sixteen ten is like the ultimate universe right so that is that stuff like Miles Morales. And the reboot of Spider-Man, right. like the yep. Ultimate Spider-Man That's and Ultimate universe. Comics Spider-Man. And then you've also got, what else, Ultimate X-Men in that one. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Earth 199999. That's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's the continuity of the Avengers and Iron Man and all that. Uh, yeah, some of these are, these are fascinating. Earth 982, you got the MC2 universe. And now, apparently today, you have a universe where uh, somebody like Greg Land draws Spider-Woman. Yeah, who thought, who, thought, who thought that was a good idea? Yeah, I don't know. That's a terrible idea. Can't can, can't they give him something? Can't they give him something like less cool? To mess up? I don't. You know, it's all just so. There's so much happening. I love Spider Woman. I have a Spider. I'm looking at a Spider Woman on my desk right here, and I don't want Greg Land touching her. Yeah, she's special to me. Hmm. Anyway, that's that's what's going on there. And other than that, like I, I'm not. I'm just not reading as much as I did. I was very you excited. Take breaks. You got to take breaks. I got super into it at, at like when DC did the New Fifty Two, and I got really into reading a whole a whole lot of books at that time. And I love some of the the things that Marvel's been doing. But 
I feel like, you know, it's Spider-Man is their one big franchise. You know, the X-Men is big. The Avengers are big. But like in in the comic side of it. Yeah. Spider-Man is is the big one in the comics. In the movies, it's like Iron Man and Avengers and and X-Men. And the Spider-Man movies, I don't think, do as well. Um, They certainly don't do as well in my household as the other ones. But Spider-Man is to DC movies as Superman. Sorry, Spider-Man is to Marvel movies as, seems to me, as Superman is to DC movies. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, they're still not quite getting getting the, the part of it that we love right. Right. I mean, it's got its moments. It's got its moments for sure. But it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, in the wake of Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't follow this stuff super carefully. Um, but, uh, boy, that was so, such a great movie. Okay, all right, sorry. Sorry, sorry for the derail on the comic stuff. Anyway, go look at Bitch Planet. Uh, that's really good. What else, uh, anything else I've been reading lately that I really like? Uh, a lot of people still really like the new Batgirl. I haven't been keeping up, but uh, that's really good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Comics, back to comics. Back to comics. I mean, we've got to go back to our roots. That's it. I got all sides Thanksgiving, turkey in a can, Bitch Planet, and then uh, fourth Dan's topic that he never gets to bring up. Well, I mean, we can go to it if if you want to go to it. Um, we had a couple interesting questions uh, come up on uh, on Twitter. I would love that. But you let still me, get Twitter? I still, yeah, I'm still subscribed. What are you, what what are people asking? Uh well, like, like let me get let me get to well, there were some emails that came in good uh, that were good that were really good. But uh, let me just uh, see if I can find this here on Twitter. I think I favorited. I don't know how to organize uh, my twitters. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was somebody who tweeted, take, take look, mom, I'm, I'm, I'm clicking, mm-hmm. I'm looking, uh, well, one person said that they, they want good morling to stick around. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's important. That's good. I'll write that down. Good. Put morling. that one, put a note. Keep doing a bit. Got it. Here's, here's one. Rob Grant, who is Rob Bear G. Uh, says, if you ever need a back-to-work topic, what about dealing with passive-aggressive colleagues? And then he follows it up with a second tweet. A friend was told at Code Review, quote, you need to do things, but there's no point because you won't fix it. Hmm. And that was, I thought that was definitely an interesting topic because we've definitely talked about dealing with sort of different personality types at the office and uh, and, and things like that. Yeah, I'd and be happy to talk about that. That's something that that I haven't really seen a lot of that uh, even when I was at the bigger companies where there was a, a lot of that, I just never had anyone who was sort of flat out rude like that. But yeah, well, you know, it falls into this. I feel like being passive aggressive falls into this larger class of um, kinds of noxious remarks or comments or philosophies that are about coded statements. So um, rather than saying something that is is what you wanted to say and has something that can be done and so forth. I think it's it's not unusual to encounter uh, passive aggressive is a common one, but uh, there are all kinds of things where you can like try to encode a lot of meaning into something that seems really harmless, but it's actually kind of a dick thing to say. I think that's very common, um, you know, and, and certainly in, in just in corporate speak in general, there's a way of speaking in code that can be very frustrating. And, and, you know, if you're just sitting around in a meeting where people are blathering on about, you know, coded statements, that's one thing. But then when it comes to your work and you're like, well, what, am I, what should I actually do or what should I actually change? You know, if you're having a review with, a, with an employee, I mean, make it really clear to them what they need to do to improve and, and say it in words that, you know, are understandable. It's just that I think 
I think it's not unusual in a corporate culture, especially, or any kind of team culture, for it to only be okay to speak in code. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think that's, uh, anyway, I think that's a flavor of that. So even if you're not encountering like a, a, a straight, straight up passive aggressive person with passive aggressive remarks, there is a lot of encoding. And then pretty soon, uh, that's how everybody talks because that's the patois. That's the only acceptable way to communicate. You know? So you think that becomes like a corporate culture as a whole, or is it more like this is the way my department is? Or what have mm-hmm, you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, you know, everywhere, you know, every company, every team has certain little ticks. It could just be, you know, certain ways that people talk, certain ways people communicate, but, and, you know, certain terms. Like I've heard terms in some places where I've never heard anywhere else. And I'll be like, but everybody uses it. And I feel like, wow, I, there's this new buzz phrase I didn't even know about, you know. And I think that's common. But, you know, it's the, how do you put this? The, um, it's one thing to say like, okay, please don't say sexually offensive things in the office. Right. Like, that's a pretty straight-up thing to say. And a sexually offensive thing includes these kinds of things. Like, stop saying things like that. That that would be a very straight-up kind of thing to say. Um, but, you know, but to be honest, even when you say to somebody, you know, could you please be more culturally sensitive to some... You say that to somebody. Well, wh- what does that mean exactly? What you're really trying to say is, like, stop being a jerk. But you have to encode it in this kind of HREs um, where you're not really saying what it is that you mean to say. And that may be an extreme example, but, you know... But, you know, in that case, that person's just being a jerk, saying, yeah. oh, I would tell you about this, but then you won't even fix it. Like, what is that supposed to do for the person who's, li- you know, listening to that? Are they going to, like, does that inspire them to do their best work well, now? Well, passive-aggressive people, um, by and large, don't know that they're passive-aggressive, or, or they do not accept that they are passive-aggressive when they're told that they're passive-aggressive. Because the whole MO of the passive-aggressive person is acting as though uh, they are being very nice or being very helpful or being very understanding. Oh, I'm very understanding of how you are. Mm. That's a very passive-aggressive way to be. Um, you know, well, like, because, I mean, do you want to have the bigger conversation of, like, well, wait a minute. Now, why would you say that? Why would you think that I, I wouldn't fix it? Because now you sound defensive. And that's what a passive-aggressive person feeds on. It's going like, oh, 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 easy, calm down. Gosh, I'm sorry, I wouldn't even bring this up if I knew you were going to be so sensitive about it. And that's, that's crazy-making. And so you just, you know, you just sit there and take it because otherwise there's not really an easy way to change that culture. There's not an easy way to change that person. And, you know, that's the beauty of being that kind of a character is that you can, you know, get away with a lot until basically somebody just, you know, wraps you up in a blanket and throws you in the dumpster, you know? I don't know. I don't know. I'd be very happy to talk about that. I think it's super interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I would think let's talk about it because there are there seem like like remedies, and I try to put myself into a situation like this where somebody says something like that, and I mean, how do you like clear that up? It's clear that somebody has a perspective or an opinion about you, and you're thinking to yourself, "Huh, well, I'd like to change that, and how can I effect a change?" You can say to the person, "Well, yeah, I, I will fix it." You know, and maybe the person said it as a joke or maybe they weren't thinking or maybe, you know, I mean, like there, there is this, there is this kind of like passive aggressive style of joking that people have. Um, they, you know, it's your show, you know, that kind of, that kind of Yeah, but that's, joke. Not, that's not appropriate at work. But right. But that's, that's not a, something that you would do in a workplace with somebody who you're like in a meeting with. It's a joke among friends, but it, you know, we don't know the background of this scenario, but like. That I think a lot of people don't, even if it was a joke, wouldn't get it or appreciate it, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, also, it's, you know, I feel like I always kind of come back to this. Maybe this is a, um, 
I don't know, like uh, an easy catch-all for me, but I, I always come back to like uh, the culture of, of your team or the culture of work, that kind of that ineffable ether that we all uh, live in, uh, where everybody kind of knows what's okay and what's not okay. And I'll just bet you dimes to donuts that on that particular team, what's not okay is saying, hey, look, you know, I, the last four or five things I've asked you to do, you either didn't do, you didn't do on time, or you didn't do well. And here's examples of that. Because now you sound like you're calling the person out in yeah. that case. You know, really, the, I mean, that, that's the, the problem with that kind of a passive-aggressive statement is, like, that's that's allowed. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, that, if that becomes the way that people communicate with each other, it's going to seem weird, and you're going to sound defensive if you go, wait a minute, why would you say something like that? That's That's kind of odd. Because whatever that manager and that team has allowed to become okay, uh, you know, becomes SOP. That that's like how you that's how you deal with each other. So, I mean, my finger would tend to point at the manager or the the, you know, you could say the team, but really, it's whatever that manager puts up with. If if I were that manager, I'd say, what the hell was that? Like what? <laughs> like what? Well, okay, so wait a minute. Are you you're trying to have a different conversation here? We're having a conversation about who's going to do this work, and you're trying to have a conversation like a back channel public conversation about this person's effectiveness and performance. Like that's what 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 does that mean? Because you know you have to, if you're a peer talking to a peer, mm-hmm. and one of you is passive aggressive, that person's always going to win because otherwise you sound like a pill. Like you're you're like you know what I mean? It's um, I mean I don't. I, you know, to, to respond to stuff like that, most of the time, I think people just slough it off and go, well, whatever. You know, that's the way it is. Like, I don't have the cycles to sit here and try to fix this person who's who's doing that. But it's a very corrosive personality. It's certainly not the kind of thing that is useful for collaborating with people. Um, and I personally, I don't respond to that stuff well at all. I'm really bad at it. Um. So, I mean, do you just think you just ignore the comment and move on and then see? And this is one of the things that like my own advice to myself and I guess for other people is the best way to counter uh, a, a negative comment or a negative perception or something like that is to prove them wrong by doing really good work, you know, um, do having your your response is simply. I will wake up and I will do the best thing that I can possibly do. And you know what? I'm going to take that as constructive criticism that this person said because it's maybe the best that they could do to communicate a frustration that they had. You know what I'm saying? Like like kind of forgive them for not presenting these comments or being engulfed in this culture in mm-hmm. one way or another. That makes, that, that's on a practical level that makes sense. But it's hard to do, right? Well, but I mean, you know, a passive aggressive person is a predator. It's not somebody who suddenly one day uh, tries to adopt that kind of attitude, that that tacitly defensive attitude. Um, that's the kind of predatory personality that somebody gets over time. You don't just most people don't wake up one day and suddenly act like that because you do sound like if you aren't if you aren't practiced at being passive aggressive, you sound like a petulant child, which that person would be. And so usually you call the person out and say, "Well, what, what, wait a minute, well, like why are you why are you being whiny about that? Like, what, what what's the problem?" You know, because also when we talk about passive aggressive, like, what does that mean? I mean, to me, that involves encoding things in what you say, what you do, what you don't do, or what you don't say. So, I mean, what are classic examples of that? Something like, um, if somebody says something to you, uh, somebody says something to me like, um, what? Uh, you know, when you eat hoagies in the office, um, and, and fart, uh, you know, that's really unpleasant for everybody. I go, well, you know, I'm sorry, you feel that way. 
you know, passive aggressive is the thing where you like kind of always put it back on other people, I think is a big part of being passive aggressive. And, or it's a way of like, again, trying to encode that like, I, I'm not doing anything. It's you that's doing something. That's to me what passive aggressive is. And, you know, those kinds of folks, I don't know. I mean, I've worked around a lot of people like that. I think I've been that person uh, at times. And it's it's really unpleasant to be around because there's all kinds of things you just never that person really can improve and they won't improve because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. Yeah. And that's that's hard to be around because, you know, it's, again, anybody who's really good at having a certain kind of corrosive personality, it's going to infect the office. Because if somebody was bad at that, well, it would get fixed or they'd be fired. But if they're really good at it, then that just becomes like the the way we talk to each other. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I... I feel I'm, I feel I always feel like I'm I'm really good at like blaming managers for stuff, but I don't really have answers as a manager. I, I just I don't know how people do it. I, I would find it such difficult work. But um, hmm, I don't know. It's so that person, the the the, the Twitter person yeah. that was directed at them, correct? Uh no, they well, you know, you know how that goes. I'm a, a friend was told at a code review, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, right? Who knows? Yeah, but I mean, like the, the natural response to that has you walking straight into the passive aggressive person's trap, right? So you, somebody says at a code review, something like, what was the phrase? Like, I would tell you about this problem, but you wouldn't fix it. Something like that, right? Yeah, some, something along those lines. Uh, like it, like I get The problem is no matter what you say, you sound defensive. Right, like, uh, you know, uh, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Kind of. Like, yeah. how, do you, how do you respond? Well, what, you know, it puts you on the defensive in, in, a, in a way that's not really fair. Yeah. Because then you're like, well, you know, and I would love to have been a fly on the wall because we could talk about it better. But I think that as, a, as, an, overall, uh, as an overall topic, it's that thing that, that I, I don't know. I think that people a lot of the time don't really hear what they're saying or, and I'm, you know, I'm guilty of this too, is like, you know what, maybe that person was like having a bad morning and said something that they shouldn't have had. Maybe they found that their kid had lice. You know what I'm saying? Like, who knows uh, what's going on in that person's world. And you always have to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt that, that they didn't mean it or, but then, you know, can you confront somebody like that? Can you say that, that hurt my feelings. Uh, why did you say that? Or because then all of a sudden, like, oh, you're so, mo-, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't, how do you get out of that? How do you climb I don't out think, of that? I mean, that's the thing, though. I don't think you can. It's the same way that, like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how to put this, but you know, it's like, it's like dealing with a bully. If you try and deal honestly and sincerely with a bully by yourself, nothing good's going to come of it because that person's really good at being a bully. You know, a, a bully is somebody who knows how to try and capitalize on your weakness, fear, or insecurity to try and get whatever it is they want, whether it's important or not. The, the, the point is for the bully, the bully just likes winning for its own sake. The bully isn't, the bully isn't on necessarily any kind of a, uh, you know, uh, elevated path trying to do something that's particularly great. I mean, I imagine, what, maybe bullying can be good for something? I don't know. But mostly they're just jerks. And But you're not going to like have a conversation. It's difficult. You're having, a, you need to have a different level of conversation. And even when you do have that level of conversation, it's not going to change it. And to me, that's the frustrating part about passive aggressive people is, is that, you know, in the conversation that we need to have is not even about what you said. It's not even about like what you did. It's about your entire attitude and approach that where you don't understand what it is about what you're doing that is so toxic. So any kind of a toxic personality in the office, 
is kind of double difficult because people tend to suffer them, knowing that like have, trying to have this conversation with them is going to be, it's just going to make it worse. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's the kind of thing most people are aware that they're doing because, again, they, they think they're in the right, you know? And the, the bully thinks they're very entitled to do what they're doing. And, you know, whatever they can get away with is what they'll get away with. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how people have jobs. It's, um, it's, it seems very challenging. I just, it just seems weird. There's, there's just all so much, so much encoded in places. And I guess you just get good at that and then try to find a way to get through all that fluff and actually produce something that's a good thing, you know? But it just seems like there's so much overhead involved in the communications you have to do, you know, to, and even like people that you would consider like baseline normal people in an office work yeah, team yep. environment, you still have to be so careful about mm, what? Politics. Like you CC this, these three people, but not this person. So what does that mean? That means you don't consider them somebody who needs to be involved in right, this decision. Or you don't want them on the team for some reason, or you're trying to make it, you know, more difficult for them, or there's a subtext there. And, you know, it's funny because whenever, you know, we, we deal with so much, uh, uh, emailing here and back and forth, and you can always tell like the corporate infrastructure of the company that you're working with, uh, based on how many people are CC'd in the email, you know, is if it's right. one or two people, you know, like they're probably a small company, then it's, oh, 18 different people were CC'd to make sure that, you know, spot number two will air on this Tuesday. Like you, it's, it's just crazy the way that people, uh, are, are sort of trained to, and then there, there's the, the opposite of that is like people who just never CC anybody where you'll CC a group of people and you reply all. And then like they replied, it's just, just you. And, you know, and then and then there's also that problem of like, how do you take somebody off of like, if you're in a base camp thread and you're like, ah, this doesn't really appeal or apply to me, or I'm not really involved to this. Can I remove myself from this particular conversation without offending people? It's almost like certain people still get offended if you unfollow them on Twitter because you know they're they're posting about the latest political thing nonstop and retweeting everybody and that's what mute is good for but you can't mute an email thread you know what i'm saying and it's yeah. like people do take this stuff kind of personally um when it when it doesn't have to be that way yeah i mean i i have some suggestions for that i guess uh at least how i would handle it i think if i if i became aware of it and like like anybody we've all been guilty of these kind of bad practices but um there's several uh, unproductive patterns or anti-patterns, I guess, in, in what you're describing. And I do agree that it happens a lot. One of the uh, unproductive anti-patterns is to just always CC a bunch of people. Well, why does that happen? It happens because we're afraid somebody's going to feel left out. It happens because we want to um, have people see that we're working. It happens because we want to diffuse some of the blame, uh, p- perhaps. But here's the thing. Um, CCing... There, there are, there certainly are teams where CCing everybody is just how you do it, and that probably makes sense. If you have five people at your startup or whatever right. you want to call it, your small company, and everybody always gets CC'd, that's annoying, but I understand that. The really problematic part of the CCing is, again, when you start to imagine what it means. Like, is it that now if you weren't CC'd, you're not invited to the cool kids' lunch table? Well, that's certainly a kind of problem. That's not going to be solved by CCing more people. That's just going to, how, do you, how would you ever hope to fix this class and status problem by CCing more people? Because then the really big anti-pattern is like, okay, you CC'd me on this. What do you want me to do about this? Because like you'll see these conversations where like there's 10 people 
being CC'd and he CC and CC and the FW, 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 FW yeah. gets forward and CC'd. And I mean, I my inclination is to say like, okay, uh, so we're having a conversation about this here? Or like, what do you, did you want me to schedule something? Is there something you want me to take care of? Because what ends up happening often is three or four people are having this comp, this conversation. It happens on Twitter too. I have a regex in TweetBot where I won't see something that goes to more than four people because I just don't want to be involved. I just, why would I want to see that? Like, <laughs> I, I tend to not respond to everybody in a tweet because not every, like, why would I, why, why are you doing that? Why? Why did you include me in this and now I got to see all this? Like, what? What? Like, so you're quit putting on this little show for me. Like, I don't need that. And I'm the same way with email where it would be like, okay, if you're Johnny Manager or Joan Manager and you want to be really effective, how about this? How about you get, uh, do what you need to do to communicate. If it's, a, if it's a one or two time, if you can do it in less than three or four emails with less than three or four people, that's great. Mm-hmm. At the point where more people are getting to add that, that's, that's a different kind of event now. So if work needs to be assigned, assign the work. If work needs to be claimed, claim the work. Because every every person you add in that CC line and every every other additional cycle of that email going around, to me, makes it less and less likely that anyone is taking this seriously yeah. or that anything is actually going to be accomplished. And again, I, I have to look straight back to management. You know, they're the Steve Jobsy kind of people who have like a, a single person they deal with and go like, okay, you go take care of this, right? The Burns and Smithers. Like, the, you go take care of this thing for me. And they don't get involved in those kinds of things. Other kinds of people, it seems like they don't really understand how their company works, honestly. And <laughs> how, their, you see how, their somebody, own, how their own company works. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. no, I'm saying you see people at director level and above. Oh, man, I had a great conversation with somebody recently. I won't say more than that. But I had a really interesting conversation with somebody, a company. And, you know, you, everybody in the company has uh, email addresses right. that are their, their, their name at the company, right? Mm-hmm. And, but those people are also on distribution lists. So, <laughs> but he was talking about how, how crazy it is when somebody sends this shot over the bow to like everybody they could think of at their, <laughs> at their named email address. But then they just, then they go like communications at TLD. They go, you know, communications, marketing, uh, and so on and so on and so on, uh, you know, tech support or whatever. And they put everybody in there. And so, so suddenly there's just this explosion of email that is kind of like the equivalent of somebody going, I'm confused. Because mm-hmm. they're just basically mailing everybody in the company sometimes twice or three times. And it's like, when you do that, like you, you just seem crazy. Like, what do you imagine is going to happen? And the question I ask you know, when is the last time that you stopped what you were doing to mm-hmm. take care of something that had been CC'd to 30 people or 50 people or 100 people? And my, my feeling is, and this might show what a psychopath I am, but the more people that are on that CC line, like the less inclined I am to think that I'm the right person for this thing. Now, if I can take care of it, a lot of times I will. But you know what I don't want to do? I don't want to respond to an email with 30 people in it. Because now... What, am, I mean, what, what are you doing? You're just, you're just making more noise. So I don't know. I may, I may be changing this to the topic that's easier to talk about, but I don't know. I think um, that's the, uh, part of it is a cost issue. It just it doesn't cost anything money-wise to do that. You could just send those all day long. I think it does cost your credibility a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, because what could be more effective than being a director-ish person who writes to exactly one person and says, hey, I'm forwarding you this thing below here. Uh, in a nut, uh, we need to um, 
whatever. We need to get the Henderson report ready for, for Tuesday. We need to change this person's flight to that. We need to make sure that there are more chairs in the room at this meeting. And you send that to exactly one person and it gets taken care of. Downside, people don't see you ordering chairs. Mm-hmm. So maybe that makes you sound less effective or something. But like the more you want something to get done, the fewer people you should send it to, the shorter the email should be, and the more specificity there should be about what every effing person on the two line or CC line is expected to do. And you know, think about it. If you tried to do that, would you ever send an email to 40 people with what each person's assignment was in it? Okay. Of course not. That's completely mental. But on the other hand, you do the completely even weirder thing that we all do every day, which is sending something to all of these people without any reason why. It's like I say, the FYI email, like FYY, why are you sending this to me? For my information, for what? What do you want me to do about this? Do you want me to respond to this? Do you want me to, you know, and you know, that, that doesn't sound like such a big deal. And like, I'm the crazy old man in the wilderness here, right? But the problem is if you start doing that twice a day, you start doing that 20 times a week, you're creating more and more obfuscation and lack of clarity inside the company. Mm -hmm. Nobody should ever have to read below the fold to find out if you're asking them to do something. That should be ideally in the first paragraph, the first line. It should be in the subject line. And if there needs to be more more conversation about it, like, is that where this needs to happen? Is this where we need to have this conversation? And I would say most of the time it's probably not because people are zipping around and they're looking at their phones and they're, they're, you know, doing little bits of this and that. I I just, I, I think that is a really good way to make your culture seem out of touch and to make you seem ineffective and a little bit pompous. And then, of course, that would be the person who says, please stop replying all to everyone. And yeah. it goes to everybody on the line and yep. we all know how that goes. Yeah. Tell me about something you like. I'll tell you about a little company called Smile. You may have heard of them. Uh, these guys make something amazing called Text Expander Touch 3. This is a custom keyboard that lets you expand all of these awesome custom keyboard shortcuts into your frequently used text snippets on your iPhone or your iPad. So if you're using Text, text Expander on your Mac, you already know what this is. This brings this in the form of one of those really cool iOS uh, keyboards. So this you can expand in any app. And this is, this is a big deal because this is the first time ever uh, on iOS. You can expand abbreviations in like mail, Safari messages, uh, all of this stuff. And the cool part of it is if you do use Text Expander on the Mac, uh, it'll sync perfectly via Dropbox so that all of these cool customizations, these signatures, you don't have to like enter them twice or figure out how to import them. They're all just there. Uh, and this is, uh, it works with iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, and they respect your privacy. There are a lot of people... When these keyboards first came out, they were worried, is, are they sending the data up to the, to the mothership somewhere? Uh, but, but no, they don't do that. And they actually have an article on their, uh, on their blog talking about that. Uh, so this is, this is great. I know that you're a big uh, text expander uh, person. Yeah, I just thought of an example that I use all the time for this show, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned it. Hmm. Can I want to hear it? Well, yeah, I'd love to. Well, hear. people are going to ask me to post this, so I got to figure out where to put this. Yeah. I guess I could do a gist. But um, I use um, Brett Terpster's wonderful NV Alt to do a lot of my kind of functional writing on the Mac. And a typical workflow kind of thing for me is copy a URL, like for example, right here. I just put the um, I put a the image, uh, a screen grab from the turkey in a can, Bob's Burgers. I want to want to put that in show notes, right? So what I do is this is try to follow this. Close your eyes, mentally imagine. I type can space IMG. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the, why would I do that? Well, I select that and hit option command V in NV alt. And that turns that into a markdown reference link. So what that does is that takes this can IMG, puts it in brackets, mm-hmm. adds a colon and a space, and then puts the, 
uh, URL in the right place. So I did can IMG. If I want a link associated with that, I type in can, in this case, link. I do the same thing, option, command, V, and that pastes it and that makes that. That's all great. Now, I still don't have any HTML in this, and this is where Text Expander comes in. Right above where I typed those things, I type D-L-I-N-K. I don't know why I came up with that, but D-Link. And bloop, it pops up, and I get the little pop-up thing where it's got repeating fields. And I type, so you'll notice the link and the image have the same anchor text. Anchor text, is that the right word? I'm not sure if that's the right word, but I you know what so. I mean. The named link, reference link. The point is that, so right now, I've copied something, I've pasted it. New line, new line. Copied something, pasted it, right, over these words. And now all I have to do is I type D-L-I-N-K and it fills in everything I need to turn that into an image and a link in Markdown. So by typing just those couple things, now I get, <laughs> oh, open bracket, exclamation point, open bracket, can, image, close bracket, open bracket, all that nonsense where you don't want to have to think about all mm-hmm. of that pasta salad when you're actually making something. Mm-hmm. And it turns it all right into a link right in there. That like has become such a fast workflow for me. So the, the summary version, I'll post this as a gist or something, I guess, is that the short, the short version is that you, by naming the link and the image with the same short word, and then having this little D-link text expander shortcut, I can't, that would have taken me, that would have taken 10 minutes if I did it by the old-fashioned way to me, to go in and mark all that up and make sure that the quotation marks are right and everything. That's all there is to it. So I'll put up a, a little, uh, what's the best way to do that, Dan? I could export it. I could export it and put it up. Yeah, that, I think you just export it. Copy reference. I'm clicking. Well, while, while you click, I will tell the people to go to smilesoftware.com slash B2W. And, uh, and that, will, uh, that will tell you all about Text Expander Touch 3 and all the other stuff. And it, it, just going to that link will support the show. Maybe, you know what? Maybe they'll post your, your gist up there if we get, it, uh, get that over to them. So thanks very much to, uh, to Smile. Uh, smilesoftware.com slash B2W. Uh, uh. I type and I paste. All right. See, that's good. This is good. See, now I got to document this. What am I doing, Dan? This is why I get out of the racket. It's a lot of work. A lot of work, a lot of typing. I explain that poorly, but uh, it's, it's really great. And I use it all the time. Well, you know, I've seen a little fast way to do stuff. I think that's, you know, that's of all this nonsense, life hacks, workflow crap. You know, I think everybody who cares about this stuff eventually comes up with a handful of these things that they just use all the time. That's one for me. You know, like I said before with Text Expander, S-Date, S-D-A-T-E, the short date. You know, um, F-Date, which is like a long Unix date. I just, I rely so heavily on these. But that little pop-up thing is giant. Like, I use that all the time. What's it called? They call it called uh, pop-up, uh, pop-up, what do they call it? Pop-up, pop why, why do I keep saying that? Pop-up, what's it called? What, on the, the, the keyboard? Yeah, on the Text Expander. It's called a uh, fill text, colon name equals field. Yeah. I love it. I love it to death. All right. I'm helping people. This is a show about helping people. Speaking of which, I do have a good email that, that came in here. This is by uh, someone named Sam who only wants us to use his, uh, could be her. Last name with actually does say, does say a man. So it's a him. Sam is a him. Uh, okay. I'm skipping that. He compliments on, on the, how the GTD episodes have uh, sincerely improved his life. And he thanks you for that. And he says, I have an idea for a topic which might have been better timed uh, if I'd suggested it while some of these other shows going on. But he says, listening to you both in previous, uh, previously, John Gruber in Syracuse and Marco, it seems that the thing you all have in common is an extremely stable home life with very strong support from your partners. And he then says in parentheses, it may just be that you're faking it, of course, but in that case, you should all be actors as well as broadcasters. 
I would love to hear a discussion between you about this, as it seems to be large but mostly implicit part of the foundation of what you've been able to achieve in the fields where, as you have frequently pointed out, there are no real job descriptions. It may be that I'm exaggerating this influence because of noticing it from the outside. I write as a 52-year-old single man who is also freelance, self-employed in a precarious industry, and I often wonder um, if I would have gone further with a partner, not just cheering me on, but making it necessary for me to provide for a family. However, the importance of your families to both of you is abundantly clear, and I think your thoughts about their support of your working lives would be illuminating. Thanks again. Keep up the great work. Sam. Nice. And I thought that was a really uh, interesting uh, topic because it's it does, you know, having having a support network of one kind or another um, is is super important. But then you know he's pointing out also we have this uh, we have this very interesting dynamic of these people are there to support you, but in in many cases we have this obligation uh, to support. Uh, them if if not emotionally but financially as well and you know you often especially on uh grit people will call in and they'll say you know my my wife is supportive of of what i'm trying to do or my girlfriend is supportive or my husband thinks i should go freelance you know when what about when you don't have that not because the the spouse is unsupportive uh but because there is no spouse it sounds like what sam is saying is like would I have been, would I be doing better now if I had had some kind of financial obligation or, or partner to support or how home life to support and how important tied into that is having a supportive structure at, at home. That's, very, that's a good one. That's a very good one. good one. So what do you think? I wasn't aware uh, that I had a um, extremely stable uh, home life. Uh, it seems with all the screaming that goes on in my house with these children mm-hmm. uh, and and the fact that I still wake up at, you know, five in the morning for no reason. Uh, and, you know, like every day feels incredibly different to me. And every day is filled with another challenge or problem or strange occurrence. It doesn't feel stable. You know what felt stable to me was right after I graduated from college when I was like single and living in an apartment. And did the same thing every day. Like that felt staple to me. What I have now feels like chaos every single day, especially, uh, especially at work when, uh, you know, like you get to hear, I, I, I mean, speaking for me, like I come on and I do the shows and that's the consistent part of what I do, but everything else is completely crazy and up in the air. And I never know what's going to happen next, whether it's, you know, which which shows will work and which ones won't, whether we'll get the sponsor deals that we're working on, um, you know, who, who's going to be a guest on the show if, if the new show that I've been working on for a year uh, will completely succeed or completely fail. Like, it's it's incredibly not stable to me and never has felt stable at all. What, what felt stable was that job that I went into every day uh, for a year or two until everybody in the company got laid off. Like... That felt stable. This does not feel stable. Do we? Do I give the perception? Do I give the perception, or do we that like it feels stable? Or maybe I'm um, using the wrong definition of stable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what to advise. I mean, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't have that much to say about it. But I, I'd be interested in hearing what you have to say. I don't know. I. Uh, 
um, I don't know. I'm I'm reluctant to try and, and hold myself up as any kind of paragon uh, for that. Um, I'm certainly um, reluctant to give advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what I would say to advise uh, about that. Ask, ask me again when I'm better at it. Yeah, no, I know how you feel. No, I could never give advice on it. I, I, I think, you know, in a way, when you know that you've got to provide, um, you, you definitely, you know, can look at the bills and say, yeah, I've, I've got to go earn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, it, it feels like a much bigger risk to go. And I mean, I remember... I've told this story too many times, but like I was, I was, I'd been a CTO for a couple like tech companies in San Francisco and, uh, and like that lifestyle of living in one part of the country and flying back and forth to another and managing a local team and a remote team and being accountable for everything. Um, that was really, really, really stressful and unpleasant. And I, I hated it. Uh, so for me, the risk of starting my own thing which I knew I didn't know how to do and still am figuring out every day was, you know, what was, it actually seemed like less of a risk because I didn't want to kill myself anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, I was not completely mm-hmm. miserable every minute of every day uh, doing a job that I hated and felt like it was stealing my soul and uh, that was incredibly stressful. And I was getting like heart palpitations and anxiety and all this other stuff. Like, the fact that I, I was making a change away from doing that and banking on my own ability to do something, that felt like uh, like a, a smart move. But it, in, in retrospect, it was a huge risk too. And I don't know. I don't really know how to answer his question either except to say that, um, you know, the stable part of my life, again, is like is doing these shows, is that on Tuesdays, you know, we start the show at uh, 11 Central – and, uh, and, and that's, that's the stable hour and a half of my life, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, I think, you know, it's funny. I, I, you know, partly I'm just, I'm kind of burnt out. I feel like every podcast I listen to, people are talking about podcasts and business and podcasts and I'm kind of burnt out on it. Um, but the, um, what can I say about that? I think a funny thing happens. And I think that, um, if you feel like you're really struggling and put upon, at a jobby job uh, in an office office, mm-hmm. uh, then home can feel can feel very stable because you know p- partly it's just you know you judge the bitter by the sweet I guess and that can feel um, I guess I'm saying you know regardless of what it is that you do or how you do it I mean after you change stuff and and balances change and all those little marbles roll around to a different part of the box uh, it can be surprising what feels stable um, I think there's a a dirty little secret that for a long time it was not okay for women to talk about that that is becoming more okay for women to talk about, which is that you know one reason I think it's there's so many reasons why why you might choose to stay at home and you could say this for men too but I think it's really true for women um, is thinking about whether you should stay home how long when you should go back to work how much and so on like you're just constantly being judged um, by everybody including other women about those decisions and it's it's so awful to watch from any remove is the way that everybody goes oh well you know well she's home for like a, like a long weekend had her kid or like oh wow I guess she's going to be a mom until her kid goes to college there's always all this like tacit judgment that people do of stuff like that but the thing that I think was a difficult conversation to have for a long time I'm not sure it's that much easier is that there's really it's really nice to not have to be around 
um, the little kid that you love more than anything in the world all day long, all the time. It's the first time that you get to like go out and be away from poopy diapers and you like yeah. get to have a glass of wine that won't get yeah. spilled on the carpet right. or something like that. Or, or in, ingested into the breast milk. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the, mm-hmm. for the women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, that chance to go off and go back to work and be a person again mm-hmm. is, is nice for everybody. Um, it can be. It can be. And, I, I'm, I, you know, again, it's impossible to say anything without not saying a thousand other things. So forgive me if, if I'm stepping on anyone's toes. But, you know, I think, I think that, again, especially for women in that case, like going to work can feel incredibly sane. If you've had two or three kids that you're taking care of, and, you know, whoever the home caregiver is, I, I read a phrase, oh, I forget where I read this, but it was such a great and damning phrase, the default parent. Like, if you don't know who Ugh. the default parent is, it's, it's probably not you. Like, you know, in a lot of homes, the woman is, ends up being the default parent, which means that anything that needs to happen to keep these kids alive, like it falls to them because this guy's got to go do his thing or right. whatever. Yeah. And that differs. And that can even be different from time to time, moment to moment. But by and large, that's what happens a lot of the time. So, you know, you get all of the nonstop, like overwhelming everything of taking care of kids all the time without the same amount of compensation or even acknowledgement a lot of the time. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's not... You know, the closest analogy I could think of in work is having those kinds of jobs, what I've called the information janitor job, where nobody notices until the pipes back up. Like, so like if the kids, if the kids, you know, hair wasn't perfectly done or their clothes aren't perfectly pressed or whatever, suddenly everybody's trying to judge you. Well, damn, man, like getting to go and be in an office where all you've got to do is deal with a, an idiotic team and a dumb boss, that's, that's a dream come true. <laughs> you get to go out and be a grown up. You get to go out and, and, and do that kind of stuff. And it's, it's different for everybody. It's difficult for a lot of people. And uh, sometimes you change your mind, you try other things. But I think that that's the kind of example where it's, a, it, it, I think for a long time, women were meant to feel that as a secret shame, mm-hmm. that they would want to go and be outside the house and go be a person again. And um, I'm glad that that's, that's an option. I'm glad that that's not as much of a damning, right, like that's burn not the me- witch idea that you want to go out and like, you know what? And now dad needs to help a little bit more or somebody else needs to pay a little bit more. We need to get help for these days of pickup from school. But I, there, I, I envy the house where that is easy all the time. Because I think it's always going to be a certain balance. Yeah. And, you know, the lesson, I just, I feel so manifestly unqualified to opine about being great at this. But all I do know is like, there's always more opportunities in that instance for me to step up and to be more supportive and to be more of the, of the default parent in that case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as far as the stability, it's nice to have people in your life that are there every day. And, you know, in the case of having a kid, it's nice to have a kid who likes you. And it's nice to have a, a family where y'all like each other. That's, that is a really good thing. Um, but it does take a lot of work. And I'm not saying it's bad work, but it's, it's not really, it's not like a Ward Cleaver kind of thing. Sometimes everybody's tired. And it's no fun when everybody's tired. And sometimes in that case, the stability is like you just try to kind of keep it, keep it together till everybody goes to sleep and you start over the next day. But I, I, I'm, I'm being funny about this because like I, I really wish I were better at it. Um, it's, it's something I feel like should be easier for me to be good at. And I've been, I have been making an effort, a lot more of an effort at it because it's important to me to try and not screw it up. But, you know, I guess, guess the, what I'm trying to get in a roundabout way is that like it can be very surprising what somebody can find stable. It can be very surprising what somebody can find refreshing. It's like the Louis C.K. joke about all the times you start trying to look for excuses to have to go to the drugstore or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people, like you, you need a break. And for some people, that break is actually going to the office. 
It's it's an interesting thing. No, the, absolutely right. And That's it's not really okay for point. women. It's not been okay for women to say that. Where it's been tacitly okay for men to go, well, honey, you go take care of this huge amorphous ball of crap, while I go and do this incredibly well defined thing in air conditioning for eight hours. See a dinner, which you will make. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, it does vary a lot. It's uh, it's yeah. So, I, and then I'm not really sure how to do the angle of you know, fifty two and and not being married. But I know a lot of people in that situation who like it just fine. I mean, and that's not, I'm not being critical. I just know, I know a lot of people who are like, you know, I've got a cat and that's really like what I want. I right. want to be able to travel. I do not want to have to have sniffles. I don't want boogers under my table. And, you know, everybody kind of finds their own level with that stuff, I think. Well, that's a really good point. And that, that now, you know, when like my mom was 26 when she had me, and back in the 70s, that was like, I don't know, being, being in your you know, late 30s, early 40s today and having, uh, having kids maybe even later, you know, because back then, at least in, from what my mom tells me, that, all, that she was five years late at least in, in starting mm-hmm. her family. It, would be, it was pretty weird to not have a kid by the time you're 25, if, if that was the plan. Yeah. And, you know, the decision that she made to to do that was that, you know, my, my dad wanted to get his postgraduate degree. And then, then the trade-off was, that, you know, she'd get hers or something that they had done one first and then the other. And then, then that's when they had me. Uh, and now it's not just that you hear people saying, you know, I'm going to wait till I'm in my mid thirties to have a kid. I hear more and more from both men and women who are couples who love each other, who have make good salaries and have good futures, uh, saying, you know, we, we just simply don't want to have any kids at all. We're quite happy, not even just from what you're saying of somebody who's, who's single at that age, but somebody who's married, biologically capable of reproducing if they chose to or adopting if they wanted to, who is simply saying, you know what, like, I don't want to be a parent. And that is, it, it's no, even that I think for so many years was like, how mm-hmm. could you not want to be a parent? Like, but, it seemed like virtually un-American. Yeah, right. Like almost, I guess, subversive. Yeah. Like why, would, why, why? Wait a minute. Why would you not do that? That's why we fight wars and stuff. Exactly. And you um, know what? It's perfectly okay. Like that's that's okay if people don't want to want to do that. And that that is almost. I don't want to say it's becoming a norm, right? But I hear about that. Well, it's certainly it's certainly a valid option. Yes, it is, and and it's an option that you can you can take without much criticism. I'm going to put something in show notes, try and save this unsavable topic. Um, a <laughs> podcast I like a lot has finally come back after a long time, which is uh, Alec Baldwin's show, Here's the Thing. And uh, I really enjoyed his show. This came out this Monday with Ira Glass from This American Life. Um, because I don't know. It's like you look at Ira Glass and you think you understand all this stuff about him. And he's... a He's a really interesting guy with a really complicated life. And there's a lot of stuff, I won't spoil the interview for you, but there's a lot of stuff you pick up listening to this. I don't think there's anything that's like provocative in it, but you learn a lot about him. Like, you know, even though, you know, he's been doing his own thing through PRX now for a while, it's like he's still, he still has given himself a public radio salary. Like he does not, he, he will not accept a giant amount of money from TAL. So that's why he goes out and does all those talks and stuff because he feels like he's asking for money. And so he and his wife have a, have a two-room apartment. Like <laughs> the most successful, I think arguably the most successful independent public radio show and certainly one of the most successful podcasts uh, and, and just franchise platforms. Yeah. He lives in a two-room apartment in Manhattan because that's what he can afford. He still does all kinds of extra stuff. He does not have time 
to do anything. <laughs> he works like all the time. Mm-hmm. And he talks a little bit about like the, the kid thing. Like he's got his dog. Like he barely has time to walk his dog. I just thought it was, even as I'm a little bit overwhelmed with how much we're talking about podcasts and the business of podcasts, um, I thought it was really refreshing because the guy who you, the person who you could most argue is at the top of the food chain, um, works really, really hard to be there. And he does not see himself as the king of the food chain. He does not see himself as a padrepreneur. Mm. He sees himself as a guy who shows up and works every day. And I thought it was really refreshing. Also, you know, Alec Baldwin's, uh, I like his interviews a lot. So I'll put that in show notes. Ira Glass on, uh, here's the thing. I just think it's nice to hear something that's not like what you expected people to say. You know, you would expect him to like be really, you know, certainly he's very polished. But he's also very much himself. And like, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's really refreshing. So I'll recommend that interview. Oh, that's very cool. And, but I mentioned it. Why do I mention it here? Because he talks in particular about the kid thing, you know? Uh, you know, if, if he feels like it's hard to make ends meet with a two-room apartment in Manhattan while running the most successful show in public radio, I mean, I don't know. I, I, he may not net as much as like, I don't know what, Prairie Home Companion. Right. I'm trying to think of other... Uh, independent things but i thought it was that was very refreshing that's a good show that Alec baldwin's a little bit of a loose cannon but I, I think i like his show a lot yeah he's up and coming that guy have you listened to his shows yes i have you heard the letterman one the billy I, joel one yeah i heard like the big the big ones um I, I should probably get on the bandwagon and listen to all of them the letterman one and the billy joel one are really really great but also some of the ones with people you may not be as familiar with are yeah. fantastic elaine stritch really great he does one with the children of Leonard Bernstein that's really surprisingly um, interesting. I don't know. I, I like the fact that he's got a show where he's going to be Alec Baldwin and like have anecdotes and yeah, it's really good. Uh, speaking of uh, the business of podcasts, did you want to tell me about something you like? I would like to tell you uh, about a little company, brand new company called MailChimp.com, easy email newsletters. These guys have been powering the newsletters that that we send at 5 by 5 since I started this thing in, in 2009. And, uh, and I've been working with their software. I was trying to remember uh, before I started the show today, the first time that I sent a newsletter with, with MailChimp. And I'm thinking it's something like maybe eight or nine years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah, there was, uh, you know, back then newsletters were like, they were considered to be kind of spam. Um, newsletters were like this crap you didn't want. And now some of the things that I most look forward to reading in the day are these newsletters that I get. Dave Pell does a, a great, uh, a, a great, really great uh, newsletter. Uh, Benedict Evans does a really, really cool newsletter. Like some of the most valuable information that I get, it comes through a newsletter and people like who subscribe to this, the newsletter for this show. This one's a little bit different because That's a good newsletter. it's a great newsletter and it has pictures in it and cool drawings. And uh, and the way that we do that is MailChimp has a thing where it can automatically look at an RSS feed. And anytime that the RSS feed updates or on a schedule you set, it will uh, it will go there and convert the content of that RSS feed into a newsletter using a template that you've picked or designed and send it to your subscribers. So like all we have to do is post our show. MailChimp will figure out that we've posted the show, pull the content in, make it look pretty and send it to to our subscribers like you can do that. You can type it in there yourself. It's there's so many different ways to do it. So many great things built in, and uh, and these guys have been doing this just so well for so many years. They have a, a really cool op, uh, thing that you can you can uh, opt uh, into using if if you meet the criteria. They call it their entrepreneur plan. If you have under two thousand subscribers, 
you can send 12,000 emails per month uh, forever. Uh, so that's it. If you're a listener of the show and you go to MailChimp.com slash 5x5, uh, you will be able to take advantage of that offer forever. So again, MailChimp.com slash 5x5. These guys are great. The people that work there are great. It integrates with with uh, pretty much everything, whether it's Facebook or Squarespace or whatever you're doing. Uh, it, it connects. We If you get the little 5x5 uh, free little listening app that lets you stream the show live, uh, you can even sub- sign up for the newsletter in there. We didn't write that code. They have a little thing you download. It embeds the code right in there. It gives you a sign-up form right in your app. I mean, like everything, they've done it all. So thanks very much to uh, to MailChimp for supporting the show. Bok, bok. <laughs> Thank you, Easter Bunny. Thank you, Easter Bunny. Bok, bok. I had to watch that whole commercial. It's it's adorable. It's adorable. Hard to watch. Little kids used to be cuter. Little ragamuffins. You know, sometimes I'll I'll be with uh, with with people. Mm. And uh, and and they'll they'll see a child, and they'll say, "Oh, look, look at look at the little child! Look at how adorable the little child is!" And I'll say, "I don't I don't like that child very much." And they'll mm-hmm. say, "Why Why not? What's wrong with the mm-hmm. child?" Mm-hmm. And I'll say, "Well, it's not my child." hundred percent. And they'll say, "Well, you have you have kids. You love your kids. You're the you're the greatest dad." Like, yes, I love my I love my kids. Yes. I like the concept of children a whole lot. 100%. But kids are like farts and hoagies. We like our own way better than other people's. That's okay, though, I think. I think it's, it's entirely natural. I don't want to smell somebody else's hoagie. I don't want to see their kid. No, it's true. I, um, I definitely like my kid better than other kids. I would, like to, I would like to say that I'm one of those people who just loves all children. I really, really don't. I, I, here's what I will say. My, my kid has great taste. She has some amazing friends and where they're actually really fun to hang out with. Yeah. And, but like we even just going to the playground. She was at the playground and, and there was a kid there kicking rocks, like, like punting rocks, big flying ones? past other kids. Well, big, you know, big enough for a kid uh, to kick, you know, little enough to carry. But yeah, and I was just like, man, I'm glad. And the, and the dad's head was buried in a Samsung the whole time. And I was just like, oh. She checked out a book on World War One yesterday. My daughter's very into the uh, the DK eyewitness books. You know those amazing oh, yeah, books with the great pictures? Oh, yeah, those are great, yes. She'll just go in. She'll, like, so, yesterday, so she'll just go grab, oh, ancient Greece, Mesopotamia. She'll just grab a whole bunch of these really cool-looking books. Yesterday, she got one of World War <laughs> And I was like, um, you can't look at this <laughs> on your own. And I flipped through it, just thumbed through it at the playground while she was playing. And oh my God, it was so awful. <laughs> no, but kids, hoagies, somebody farts and hoagies. Who's impersonating Ben Gibbard? That's not cool. I don't know what that means. Oh, it's just uh, somebody in the chat room. I'm definitely shaking. See, I think uh, when it comes to, when it comes to, cool. the, well, you know, the, the, you mentioned that there's there's so much talk about the business of podcasting, and last night I had some I had a dinner uh, with uh, with some listeners of this show, and they are uh, private equity investor type people. That sounds like a fascinating dinner. It was actually really really interesting because that's something I know sort I know so little about, <laughs> but uh, well, I, like basically the way this works, the way this works, okay. <clears throat> You've, you've <laughs> no listen. No, no. You started. I'm, I'm riveted. Please continue. You started. No, I think it's valid. Yes. You start a business, and the business becomes successful, 
And it gets to a point where it's doing many millions of dollars in revenue. And you like they, I think they were saying like 10 is when it becomes interesting, but you mm-hmm. don't, you don't want to like four of those. I know it's, we bring them back, you know, bring them back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you, uh, and well, the reason the pretense of, of the dinner was, you know, they actually have started a podcast and it's become popular and they want to, you know, they want to like expand it. And they were, you know, they were in town. So we had, we had a, a nice dinner, a really good restaurant. And, uh, and the thing, the thing that's interesting to me is, you know, you get your business to this point and you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to take VC money really because I don't want to, I, I don't want to do it. Maybe you're running a business that now you don't really know how to run because you understood the business when it was a, a half a million dollar a year business, but at a, a $15 million a year business, you don't understand it. So these guys kind of come in and they sort of buy they sort of buy the business from you. You you sort of get a whole lot of money and you can kind of retire uh, or be on the board or something. And then they'll keep the business running and they'll, they'll have somebody who really knows how to run a business of that type and scale to, to help grow it and turn it into a, and they've had a really great success uh, track record with that. But one of the thing that things that I, I think about is, you know, and, and my friend pointed this out to me, he's like, I'm like, man, I would love to be in a situation where I'm running a $10 million a year business and, and I'm, I'm so scared that I'm going to screw it up that I, I could take a $50 million check. Like that seems like a nice goal to, to work toward in a way. Um, but he pointed out, he's like, Dan, you're sitting there fiddling with, you know, with, with knobs on the, the DBX to make the compressors sound right. Like, it, and that made me think about a bigger concept. And that is, I think people who are in our industry, whether it's development or design or in in my case, podcasting, audio stuff, video stuff now, like how do you see out, especially if we come from that developer background, that's the weeds, right? Like we're, we're in the weeds when we're doing that kind of stuff. And how do you look, you know, the same, the same way that that person made that passive aggressive comment how do you get that perspective? It always seems to me, I, I, and, and this is a compliment, it seems to me like you always have the ability to get a little bit more perspective, very certainly than I do, but it seems like then a lot of people on whatever the situation is or on getting to the root of the problem, on seeing, uh, seeing the nature of the, of, of the trouble or uh, clearly seeing the situation uh, beyond the weeds, how do you get out of the weeds? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I understand the question. Uh, I, it's a complicated uh, question. I'll take the thirteenth question first. <laughs> I uh, I uh, have an unusual way of seeing things because I don't have that much useful experience in things. If I had more useful experience in things, I could say more useful things. But, but what I have to say probably sounds really uh, unusual because I haven't actually done that much stuff. But uh, I don't know. I, I think sometimes. Um, I don't know. I guess I just feel like I've been in positions at jobs or I've been in positions in relationships where I feel like nothing could ever, ever change. And I think whether you realize it or not, when you feel like you've gotten into a situation where nothing can change or it's very, no, if you feel like things are difficult, then you're still good. If you feel like it's impossible to change, like that's when you're screwed because now your perception starts changing. And instead you kind of hunker down into this almost like a survival mode we start really, you hide under the covers and pack on the pounds. And I, I think that 
um, I don't know. I, I guess I feel like I, I always feel like there's a different. It's easy for me to look at something that I'm not involved in and see how to improve it. It's you know that kind of stuff's not hard. It's the stuff that I'm involved in that I find particularly difficult. I don't. I'm not really sure exactly what you're asking, but like for me, I can look at something from the outside and go, "Wow, you know, you guys have gotten really good at speaking somewhat dishonestly to each other," or saying, "Hmm, uh, it seems like there is a lot of incentive for people to claim part of the credit for something kind of crappy rather than make something awesome by themselves." I can. I can. Anybody could walk in and see that. I don't think that takes a huge amount of vision. But I find those kinds of things easier. I don't know how to solve systemic problems in companies because systemic problems are what companies want. Mm. I think a lot wait, of times, wait, what do you mean by that? I think it's the problems they're most comfortable having. I mean, if you've got these kind of these institutional problems that become like furniture, it, it becomes a certain kind of comfort in some ways. It's the problems that don't fit into the architecture of how you've run your company for 15 years that people find really troubling. That's the people who leave and go start their own thing. Um, I mean, I think people, people tend to want the kinds of problems that they're familiar with, even if they aren't fun problems or cool problems. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Where'd you go to dinner? Uh, Uchiko. Oh, konnichiwa. Hi. Is that, is that, is that, hi. Is that a Japanese restaurant? It is a Japanese restaurant. It was, uh, they used to, the, the guy, uh, Paul Key, who's become quite a famous chef after winning Top Chef and some other things, uh, well, what used season? to be. What season was he on? Season, um, uh, Grace. What, Grace, uh, Paul. season was Paul Key and, uh, Paul Key. Paul two, three years Key. ago. All right. I'm looking. And, uh, he, uh, he used to be the, <laughs> The, I guess the the chef at this place, the top chef. Oh, Q U I Q U I Ah uh, Q U I. I believe I don't remember him. Paul Key, look at him. He doesn't have nearly as tat- many tattoos as most people on Top Chef. Nah, they love anyway, their tattoos. There. On there. It's a very, it's a, a a very interesting take on sushi. It's uh, these that guys were great. buying, so you know, you go to the you go to the good place. Yeah, they get the equity. That's right. That's private, cool. So they're gonna do a podcast. They're already doing one, and it's got, you know, 5,000 uh, downloads a week. That's good. That is very cool. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure how to answer the question. I feel maybe I'm off my game today. Hey, here's pictures of people at Yang Sing. Look at that. Yang Sing's a uh, dim sum place downtown. You, you, know, you don't get a minute to yourself at uh, Yang Sing, boy. Mm-hmm. They're always coming by with the cart. They always want to cut off more stuff or make you have a duck or something. Oof. Oof. I don't know. Uh, I should do a podcast about stuff I'm good at. I should find something I'm good at. Yeah, like what? I don't know. See, that's the thing. I, I would have 5,000 listeners at a podcast if I, if I knew what I was good at. I think you're, I think you're best at helping people. I yes. think you have this very... It's, I, wasn't actually, I wasn't actually asking, but, but, but while you're... While, go ahead and tell me. I'd like to hear. What am I good at? I think you are incredibly good at... Underst- and this is going to sound terrible, but you very, very deeply understand the human condition. Hmm... I mean it. I'm absolutely 100% sincere. I, I think that uh, you understand the human condition. You understand innately uh, how human beings work and the way that they respond to things in ways that uh, supersede what I believe is your direct experience. Mm. I'm, almost, I'm almost like a, like a metahuman or a mutant. Metahuman is the right yeah. word for it. I believe you tap into some kind of uh, preternatural... Uh, universe or wisdom. I did a I did a talk last week at this place, and I, I think it. Uh, at the time I was doing it, I was positive that it bombed. 
Um, afterward, I was thinking more that it, it only bombed for 80% of the room, that there were some people who actually liked parts of it. But, you know, I, I, should, I should know by now, having done this for a while, to not be too honest. But we got to one part where we we're talking about it's a time the version of the time and attention talk that I've been kind of evolving and trying to improve. I've always liked my time and attention talk a lot. The first half of it I've always thought was really good. It just needs a better second half, and that's kind of what I've been working on. But like you care. But but in this instance, I was we started talking about email, and a couple of people asked some really good questions about you know email, and I and I was just I said this thing. I don't know why these words come out of my mouth in front of people, but I was like, the problem is you you still have hope about email. Like the, the 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 thing is like that is hell. Hell is believing that there is hope in email. Yeah. The only thing that can actually help you is to realize that it is completely hopeless. And that in the same way that like I said, you know, you're not going to believe me about this, but do you remember the time when you thought you had to read every post on Twitter? Do you remember a time when you thought you had to read every post on Facebook? That's kind of what email is going to eventually become, where you hope you got most of the important stuff, but anybody who still thinks they can do it all is out of their mind. Yeah. Because, like I say, you don't even know who you're disappointing. You may not find, you may never find out who you've disappointed in email today, and that's that's the problem with the medium. It is literally unlimited, and it will literally take all of your attention, even when you're not actually doing it. And I said, so the best thing I hope for you, friend, is that you abandon the hope of ever being good at email and learn to just kind of surf on top of it and do the best work that you can without it letting it consume you. Which is a terrible message to give it in a corporate talk. Like, mm. why would I say something like that in front of people? <laughs> what a horrible thing to say. But, but unfortunately, it's what I really believe. And like, not to get all like freaking kung fu, but like at that point, when you let go of that conceit that you'll ever be able to fix a broken medium that could require all of your attention all the time forever, as soon as you let go of that, you get a little closer to something that might actually work. Yes, you will have to hack on it. And yes, you will have days and weeks where you suck an email and people will hate you. But like, what else are you going to do? It's... You know, voy contrade, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. So uh, th that's the kind of talk I, where I need to I need to shave off that edge and make it more positive and probably have more tips in that part. But that's the human condition part, is that, you know, it's it's I've always kind of felt like, um, whether it's the show or the talks that I do, that there's a, an element of it of trying to break down the conceit you have about how you understand this to help you understand how little you really understand about it. I mean, how little I understand about it, how little, how much it is impossible to understand what this problem is. You know, it's, it would be like thinking that you can kind of like stand in, um, stand in Grand Central Station and be able to correctly interpret the five most important conversations that are going on. I was like, well, who would think that? Like a crazy person, like somebody Bruce Dern would play in a movie would think that. But nobody actually believes they can do that. And it's just the fact that today email hasn't killed you that makes you think that you're going to be able to beat it. When you have no idea, email's not even trying. It's it's barely using one finger at this point, and uh, so that's the kind of talk I really need to get better at. But that's the human condition to me. The human condition is like a, abandoning the hope of thinking that you can understand what's going on with other people. Did something just restart? No, uh, my phone is getting a text, and I forgot to turn off the. Oh, that's okay. I like that tone. Do you have a Do you have a timer tone that you like? A timer tone. Uh, I have a timer tone I really like, and it's, it's very one. whimsical. Night it's owl. Very, what what is it? Night night owl. One I have I have playtime. See if I can. While you while you do that, I'll do our final sponsor of the day. It is uh, playtime. Yeah, that's that's. Does that make you feel good? That's playtime. Hey hey Dan, do you want to talk about something you like? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about uh, Squarespace. Ah. You know, I I gotta tell you. Uh, 
I'm building, I'm actually building a new, a brand new website. You're busy. Building a new website. And if I'm using the Squarespace uh, 7 to do this, you go to squarespace.com slash 7, S-E-V-E-N, you got to spell it. What they have done is they have redesigned the entire interface so that now everything happens on a single page. When you want to edit something, you just click and, and edit. You're editing right there. They used to have sort of an admin side and then a display side. You no longer have that. It's all in one simple, straightforward, beautiful, elegant, amazing thing that if you'd showed me, and I know we've talked about this, if you'd showed this to me you know, half a dozen years ago, I would have said the web will never be like this. It will, it, that is impossible. You will not be able to make a website like this, but you can. It integrates with Google Apps. They have a partnership with Getty Images that, that makes these beautiful images from, from Getty available at, I don't know, I think it's like 10 bucks or something when you'd normally pay hundreds for it. Tons of new templates out there that are just great. And they have this cool feature called cover pages where if you're like working on a site and you don't want to unveil anything yet, you can put a cover page. Maybe you just have that one page site that's like, I'm Merlin Man. You want to find out about me? Go here. And it shows a cool picture of you and a couple links. Like all of that's built in. Ah, it's great. 24-7 support via live chat and email. Eight bucks a month, which is the crazy part. And you even get a free domain if you sign up for the year, which is, b- believe me, you're not going to regret doing that. Uh, love these guys. No credit card required. Uh, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, God, it's such a great, it's like I'm doing everything with that. I have websites that have been around for years that I'm now moving over to, to be Squarespace sites because it's just the best way to do it. And they're new templates. They've got one page templates, like all that the kids want. It's all there. The code that you're going to use to get 10% off your first purchase is it's your show, spelled out, no apostrophe. It's your show. You can also go to squarespace.com slash back to work. Doing either of those things will help you, but they will also help us. You'll be supporting the show. And uh, we thank Squarespace for their support of Back to Work with Merlin Manns. And, and they have a little slogan now that, they, that uh, they've come out with, which I really like. This isn't what... I, is this the one we sent them? Okay. It's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. I'm just going to let them run. They're going to have to run with that. That's pretty good. Squarespace.com slash back to work. Code. Bok, bok. It's your show. Bok, bok. Thank you, Mr. Bonnie. Bok, bok. <sighs> so what are you going to do today? What's on your, uh, the docket? Do you, any preparations, last minute uh, stuff? Do you have, do you have all the preparations for the side items already? Are they already? No, no. I think we still need to go probably to the Whole Foods to do that. And I would like to do that before it gets too crazy. You got early pickup today and then vacation starts. I think we'll probably watch a program. Um, we got a, we got a, we got a sponsor. Oh, you know what? I should leak the, like, you know, this is whisper campaign. We had the whisper campaign. Mm-hmm. We got a sponsor for an episode of Roderick on the Line. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Threes. Oh really? Yeah, that's all I'm gonna say about that. That's awesome. We, but we will be it will be releasing. I have to edit this. We have to, we'll be releasing an interview that John and I did with Asher, the guy who makes that game, and it's really good. It's really addictive. Uh, you know, you know, I haven't played the updated uh, Ding Dong Ding Dong uh, Monument Valley yet. I haven't played the new. You know what? I've been holding off doing the last level of Monument Valley since it came out. My daughter's finished it, but I haven't. Because I just don't want it to end. 
But now I got new levels, so I guess I can keep going. Yeah, but they got a lot of they got some bad uh, bad press for that. Those those people can suck a bag of nuts. Seriously, like they, that, they got bad like, press. What a bunch of dummies! What a people, ugh, damn people! What are we gonna do about people? What are they thinking? What's going through their mind? Yeah, you're right. No, you're right though. Empirically, like a lot of garbage people uh, gave them a hard time for charging money for their work. But like they're a company. Like they're a company. You know what? I don't want to get involved. It's current events. Gotta, gotta stop stop you right there. It's current events. Yeah, current events. Um, that's a great game. Oh my god, we got a D&D board game. <laughs> really? Like the original, the classic one with the with the uh the little tower thing that sits in the middle? No, I think it's based on an adventuring module world. Um, but what's it called? Lords of Acid. Lords of Wetback, Lords of Welltown, Lords of uh, War- Waterdeep, Lords of Waterdeep, and it's wow. Because I thought you know it's it's okay it's for twelve year old kids and older, right? Mm-hmm. But it is. I'm not a board game person, which which is not to say I'm against board games, but like I don't have the brain for like Euro board games, and like this is really. Also, I'll put the video in show notes. There's a video with the writer explaining it. I've even watched Felicia Day and uh, Will Wheaton and people playing it, and it's it's still bewildering. I can barely follow the video game version of this. But basically, you are a person who's like a, like a bad dude who's like a puppet master in this town, and you recruit agents to go and do missions for you. And there's quest cards, and there's intrigue cards, and uh, then you, you get points. And uh, go go go! Search for Lords of Waterdeep and get a look at that game board. I'm looking at that, <laughs> what do you think of that? There's a lot, lot, a lot of moving pieces there. You got gold. <laughs> God. You, you make buildings, and when you get a building, some of the buildings, like you get this building, and you get uh, two wizards and four gold pieces. This one, you get to change who goes first. It's really, really quite something. There are a lot of parts to this. There's a lot of parts to this, a lot of accounting and bookkeeping to keep track of. Like, we got it for the iPad, our, our iOS as well, and started playing it. And, and I could barely keep up with the tutorial. And I wasn't even having to the, keep track. Do you prefer the board game or do you prefer the iOS version? We spent two hours setting up the board game and that felt like a win. And then I put it away um, and I watched some videos. I'm going to, everybody I know who's played it uh, really, really enjoyed it. It's got like 4.8 star average on Amazon. But, um, yeah, because she's into the D&D stuff. It's just, I don't, we don't want to do the whole like module thing just yet. I'm sorry, this is a tremendous derail. But there's a lot of pieces and of course I'm worried about losing the pieces and you get victory points or something. It's, it's, it's a hell of a game. Does your daughter like Transformers, the toys, Transformer toys? Um, in the same way that she likes Ninja Turtles. She likes it because other kids have talked about it and it looks neat, but I've limited her exposure to Transformers. Those are the crappiest pieces of the junk I've ever seen in my life. The way it's like these... a rental car. Using the radio on a rental car. Like it just doesn't feel, doesn't really click. It, it doesn't, doesn't feel good. It doesn't work. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. And all the parts, you lose all the parts. You know that little, the little rocket raccoon uh, guy that you had with the little tiny Groot yeah. in, the, in yeah. the, the pot? We got that. And you know how, I don't know if you experienced this. Well, I got two of them. One, one for him uh, and one for me here at, the, at work. Yeah. And both of them, it's the same, is that the gun that they give you does not fit. I mean, it fits into the hand. <laughs> yeah, no. Like I it know. goes in the hand. but it's, it's, the, it's the horse leg all over. For yes, you. and it won't. It, the, the hand, okay, the hand, it, it doesn't really clasp or grasp the gun in any way. It's just sort of like the, it had the idea that these two things would fit together. 
uh, but in practice, it, it won't stay. This doesn't bother me. I just put the gun aside, as it seemed like you did from the picture, right? Because I think yours doesn't have the gun in, in the picture. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's off to the side. It's probably in our carpeting with all the other tiny yeah, guns. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is like, and to my kid, like father, like son, you know, the, uh, the orange doesn't grow far from the um, what have the you. acorns, right, yeah. But uh, he's, you know, he gets very upset. Like if he'll put the gun in and he'll put it on the table and my three-year-old will come up and bump the table on purpose to me and the gun will fall out and he'll be like, why did you, you know, and mm. uh, like, can't they do a little bit better at making no. the gun fit in the hand? Nope. Too costly. I have a gold standard, Dan. Uh, did you ever have Micronauts? You're probably a little young. Oh, no, I did have, I did have Micronauts. <clears throat> I'll tell you, when Metal. it feels like, when I'm handling something and it feels like Baron Karza, like, I know that's well made. Yeah. Like, do you remember using that? The, I had a bunch of the plastic ones, but the metal ones, you remember, like, how those felt to you? Yes. It was like driving a BMW. It was amazing. Toys. They were really, really, I, I, rem- I might be remembering wrong, but I just remember them being real heavy, real solid, and feeling very well made. And I don't think that's the standard today. I don't think you're going to get a Baron Karza these days. There, Did I say Baron Karza? I don't know, but I remember yeah. the... the look this up. There were the metal ones that were like figures that were... You know how, how you'll go into like an art studio and mm. uh, they'll have like the little wooden... The wooden man. Man. Yeah. They were almost like that, but they were made out of metal and like you could not damage these things. It was amazing, but they used to have these cool things you could ride in that had like these really chunky wheels and rubber that would just couldn't be destroyed in any way and this is back in the day when a toy wasn't good unless it had some kind of projectile that it could shoot and you know they yeah, had rocket hands yeah everything Rock was Baron a, Karza, you know? yeah yeah everything. He, had, he, had, he was very well articulated look at that you can make, oh, it, you make are, him into a horse yours is holding the gun yeah probably not now I bet that, that gun's long gone it's gone the way of the brown lego I'm putting that I'm going <clears> to put that one in show notes all right, Dan, I got to pee. All right, man. We got to button this up. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Yeah. Let me just say, turkey in a can, bitch planet, all sides Thanksgiving. It's going to be the best Thanksgiving ever. Okay. I love you. I love you too, Merlin, man. Yeah.